Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. The opportunity to unlock and work with very talented uh, women and non-binary and other gender minority um, founders and ethnic minority founders across all backgrounds um, and help them build and scale uh, large businesses that will, you know, kind of be in everyone's, you know, part of everyone's day at some point is tremendous. It's time for Women Who Code Conversations, a segment to hear from top technology professionals sitting down with a Women Who Code member to discuss real-world experiences in the industry, what they've learned over the course of their career, and what they think is coming next for tech. Hi, I'm Elena Percival, CEO and co-founder of Women Who Code, and I have the great honor of being here today with Candace Morgan, who I have gotten to know over the years because uh, she's a board member with Women Who Code and just an incredible human. Uh, Candace, um, can I turn it over to you just to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you so much for the for the warm introduction. It's been such a pleasure working with you and with Women Who Code over the years, and I look forward to many more. Um, so yeah, I, I currently lead uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion at GV, Google Ventures, um, and as the head of EDI um, for short. <laughs> um, I work on a, a few key initiatives, probably more than a few, but the ones that I'll mention are specifically in um, one, supporting our portfolio. We have over 450 portfolio companies as, as a firm. Um, we have $8 billion um, assets under management. And um, I advise our founders and our teams um, into how to build an inclusive culture early, um, how to build an inclusive product, and how to connect with a diverse set of customers and stakeholders. Um, I also uh, focus on our investing itself and the pipeline of entrepreneurs that we get to meet, making sure we we connect with fund managers and entrepreneurs across underrepresented backgrounds as part of our flow. Um, And then finally, I also work internally on who we hire uh, and the partnerships that we make across the venture capital ecosystem. That's amazing. So the work that you're doing it's it's so critical. It's critical for the ecosystem, for the organization. Can you just tell us a little bit about you know why this work is important and also specifically for diverse women founders? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I um, you know I previously come from leading um, uh, inclusion and diversity at Pinterest, and one of the things I said on my last day um, to um, to the, the team at the time was, you know, I'm really interested in, in being part of discovering the next founder or CEO of the Pinterest of Pinterest that's a woman of color. Like there, the opportunity to unlock um, the and work with very talented uh, women and non-binary and other gender minority um, founders and ethnic minority founders across all backgrounds um, and help them build and scale uh, large businesses that will you know, kind of be in everyone's, you know, part of everyone's day at some point is tremendous. And the obstacles um, that that abound in trying to build a business are also tremendous. And there are some very specific um, obstacles that that underrepresented groups may face, just simply not being as represented in both investing and as, you know, multi-billion unicorn founders. So I feel like it's important to just pay attention to the process and make it as equitable as possible. Um, and that's what I, that's what I hope to, to make impact on. 
Um, thank you uh, for for what you're doing. It, it's so important. Um, so have you seen or I mean, you, you get to meet so many people, you get to um, see them at different stages, the, the high highs, the low lows. What are some of the great qualities that you've seen in diverse founders? Yeah, I mean, just just yesterday, um, I was speaking to a few different founders in our portfolio. And um, uh, interestingly, um, they were all underrepresented. It's, it's, I mean, I work with all founders in our portfolio that are that are trying to build really inclusive, highly engaged cultures. Um, but it so happened that these three founders that I connected with, um, the first um, was someone who grew up in a very underprivileged um, neighborhood, underprivileged circumstances, um, ended up um, studying uh, engineering and um, you know becoming this incredible uh, graphic designer and, and building a company as a result. And um, you know hadn't seen that path, but created that path. So that sense of like both like being pioneering, seeing what's out there, thinking really big, even though you didn't have a role model that you're, you were able to model off of, you know, from, from a young age is incredible. Um, and, you know, takes a tremendous amount of, um, of, you know, not only grit, but, um, dreaming really big and believing in, and having the self-efficacy for those things. Another founder that I spoke with yesterday, um, is uh, from South America and also came from an extremely underprivileged background, you know, came to the U.S. not speaking English and um, figured out their way through the education system with very limited resources and is now running an incredible enterprise software company that is that is growing by the minute. And I had a, the pleasure of spending, um, you know, an hour just understanding his life story, which is like just such a tiny glimpse. Um, but I was very, very impressed with um, how, again, he was almost fearless in doing things he had never done before. Um, and then with another founder who um, she is is building an incredible digital health company um, and has been very, very intentional about the way she is designing the company and making sure that, for example, she doesn't believe in hierarchy for hierarchy's sake. And so she was talking about how, and, and her team was talking about how they think about, obviously, leadership, right? There needs to be clarity for the goals and the vision of the company. But a lot of times things get attached to hierarchy um, and respect, like basic human dignity that don't need to be there. And so just thinking about how these founders are building their own companies, those are just, those are a few incredible qualities that uh, that I continue to be inspired by. Yeah. Um, so just thinking about kind of shifting the conversation to an operational thinking, you're seeing a lot of people who are building it, many different types of uh, exciting companies and products. What are some of the, the obstacles that go into building a company that founders don't necessarily think about uh, when they're when they're getting started that we should be thinking about and preparing um, as you know some of our members might be thinking about becoming founders themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think one generally, you know, a founder is pouring blood, sweat, and tears into bringing their vision into reality. And so, um, you know, they're waking up and breathing and sleeping and, and dreaming this this incredible 
um, problem that they're solving or, you know, with, with a piece of technology or with a service. Um, and it, it's pretty all consuming. Um, and of course, they're thinking about how to stay afloat, how to how to raise sufficient capital to keep going the current macroeconomic environment. Uh, you know, notwithstanding, right, then adding even more, you know, there's advice you read every day about like, making sure you don't have too much burn and, you know, don't overhire and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think that in moving very quickly and, um, and trying to grow a large business in a competitive space, thinking about product market fit, um, that very early culture that you set up is, is really key. Um, yesterday I was talking, I'm sorry, the day before yesterday, I was talking to another founder who was very deliberate around um, the, the first set of uh, technical talent that they hired and making sure that that was a diverse group of folks, which then beget um, more diversity, more referrals, and their technical team looks very different from how a lot of other technical teams are scaling. Um, so I think, you know, obviously from a diversity perspective, like being very deliberate about the early people that you bring in and their networks is important, but also um, how you set the cultural tone of, of what you want to build and how you communicate that out to people. Sometimes I run into founders that, um, you know, have incredible, um, you know, integrity and standards for people in their business, but don't know how to communicate that out in a certain way. Um, and so setting up um, you know, mission, a vision, a set of values, and really like how you're going to live and practice those values in your company as you scale. I think those are just a couple of things <laughs> um, that are really important in the culture you're building. And I know we'll get more into the funding element of it as well, because that's that's naturally a, a it's a challenging um, but you know a very important journey. Yeah. So actually, I love the direction that you took with that, because um, certainly at, at Women Who Code, um, you know, designing for inclusion is um, such an important emphasis for us and creating uh, culture and um, really changing um, the shape of, of business and, and industry is is what we are hoping to achieve through through inclusion. Um, so how can founders be building core values and mission early so that they are able to, um, you know, build uh, and maintain a business that is coming from a place of strength early on. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess first what I would say is um, I do encounter founders who um, want to create a workplace different from sometimes some of the things that they've experienced. Right. Um, um, sometimes that manifests as like, you know, listen, I want to move fast. I don't want to have a lot of bureaucracy. I don't want to have a lot of overhead. I mean, you know, whatever, you know, those things are. Certainly, I want everyone to feel a sense of belonging and inclusion, you know, that they could, that their experience within the company um, isn't in any way dependent on their background or their team or their, you know, demographic status or, or what have you. Um, and maybe they've experienced some of those things in their prior companies and they want to make sure that that those types of, you know, um, barriers to one's performance um, don't get replicated in their companies. And so um, I do a lot of times we'll lead our founders through um, um, some mission um, and vision um, exercises. And sometimes we have, you know, they'll generally have a mission for the company 
and we'll work backwards with, okay, well, how to achieve that mission, how do you think about equity within that mission, right? If you're creating something that you want everyone to have access to, what are you doing to make sure that your product or service is something that removes barriers for people? If you're distributed across, you know, multiple countries, how are you making sure that you're bringing employees together for engagement, right? And how are you being deliberate about that, especially in the current hybrid workplace? And, and some companies doing remote first, they're very deliberate about their culture. I'm thinking about GitLab, one of our companies um, and their cultural values. And you can, anyone can read it. They, they're very um, transparent about open sourcing what they're doing. Um, but I, I want to ask you the same question because I've, I've been, you know, consistently impressed with the values that, 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 that emanate from women who code, but I know that it's not just osmosis, it's by design. Yeah. Um, so Women Who Code's gone through an evolution around this. Um, inclusion was always a, a core value uh, for women who code. But what we realized is um, that we were kind of relying he- too heavily on intent and that we actually needed to be designing for inclusion and um, going through a process of checking ourselves internally, all of our practices, des- redeveloping them, having external eyes on it to make sure that we aren't um, missing something that we should be seeing uh, and designing all of our practices and processes for inclusion. Uh, and and then at that point, um, bringing that external because we, we felt very strongly we needed to live that internally um, before externally. So we've just gone through it, um, a full rebrand process. Um, we've gone through and reworked all of our uh, practices, policies, procedures. We've brought in um, external specialists doing training. So even though you know, Women Who Code is uh, a leader in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, we do this for external organizations as well. And um, we always see ourselves as just taking small imperfect steps forward and that it it's a continuous journey for us and that it's it, it's critical um but it's also an opportunity we are reshaping the face of leadership and um and we need to make sure that um we're designing for that that we're building for it it's it's not just through intent um yeah that's incredible. And I love that you made the point also about imperfection um, because it, it, I mean, it takes work. It, it, intent is not enough. Sometimes even with the best of intentions, um, you know, you build a product or a service that d- is disproportionately impacting certain groups in, in ways that you don't want. And you've got to like find a way to measure it and get feedback, you know, whether it's getting your user feedback from, you know, from different parts of your organization and internally, um, I'm always starting with, what are your feedback loops around your culture and people's experiences and, and beyond employee surveys, which we can design, and that can be a really important tool, um, but are there feedback loops, especially upward feedback? Um, so anyway, I totally agree with what you've shared. Yeah. Um, so I I love the, the pieces that you were bringing forward around um, the work that you do in your day-to-day. So I'm going to jump around just a, a little bit and and my thinking. Um, but one of the, the benefits that you're actually speaking to is related to funding. So the, the portfolio companies that um, are going to and um, get, receiving funding from, from GV have access to, you know, thought leadership from 
people like yourself. And so I think that's um, a really interesting value point um, for for funding, but it also speaks to finding the right funding partners. It's not just who can you get the money from, but um, what are they bringing to the table? So as we kind of transition into uh, funding, can you speak to a little bit finding the right funding partners and what that might mean for um, our, our founders or potential founders within Women Who Code? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, we, you know, earlier kind of alluded to this. It's a rigorous process. I have so much respect for business leaders and founders that are, you know, continuing to fund and grow their businesses. Um, and uh, and the, the amount of work and thoughtfulness it takes and some bit of uh, like chemistry really with some of your, your funders as well. Um, I think the first thing to note is uh, the, the, the earliest stages of funding a venture, um, the, the earliest you know, source of, of funding is usually bootstrapped, right? It's, it's savings, it's friends and family. It's, you know, um, even just having the time to work on that venture and start building that product or program. Um, there's also a need for resources on how to build businesses, right? You know, what are the, th- I mean, just the very basics of like, you know, incorporating your business and, and where and how and money management. And then there's the connections that you need um, to other funders, to um, talent sources, to mentors, to advisors. So there's, there's so much going on in that universe. Um, and obviously a root cause of inequity, right, is that people are using their own money and their friends and family's money. We have a, an extreme wealth gap in this country that has not narrowed in any meaningful way over, over decades. Um, so uh, the, first, the first question is really what kind of funding um, do I need? And, you know, I would say only, you know, a, a tiny percentage of businesses are venture capital backed. And there are other ways of, of funding and growing companies. And venture capital is not always the best fit for a certain type of business. Um, in some cases, it's looking at government grants um, and you know, for entrepreneurs, for small businesses and medium businesses. Um, and that can be within in the US within certain states, there are different types of grants. Um, you know, that could be, you know, uh, uh, in other countries also, there are different types of small business grants um, to look out for. And when I talk sometimes to founders who have decided to bootstrap through later stages, it's because they are focused on one, building their product um, and building their technology, really like investing in that um, before kind of scaling up the, the, the team and growth. Um, they might want to focus on the kind of control, creative control they have before having a board of advisors that are funding and getting input on the businesses. So just wanted to make a very important point that like venture is not the one and only path. And, you know, if, if you're, let's say building, um, uh, a sales, you know, you're building uh, a product for consumer sales, um, does that always make sense to build through, you know, venture funding, or do you need to be focused on, you know, being in shelves on stores and growing your local community and then getting online and growing from there and finding resources um, that way? There are non-dilutive capital grants. There are business accelerator programs. Um, you know, there are um, corporate funds that that give non-dilutive capital that then doesn't become like a part of ownership. So it's just very important to look into all of those options um, and decide which is the right for you. 
venture though does offer um, a, a quick a quick scale to a large amount of funding, um, especially in businesses that are, are going to multiply significantly over time and um, where you need a lot of that capital upfront to, to even get to the next stage of growth. So um, I think, you know, when you move beyond that early bootstrapping phase, now you're going into the super angels. So now you want to get connected with individuals who um, who are putting capital into your organization. Another point of inequity, right? Who's in your network? Um, you know, your super angels are putting in 25K plus checks. Obviously, they're higher net worth individuals. How do you connect with some of these super angels? It's important to find, look at companies that you admire that are in your space and find the angels that are typically on those cap tables, right? So part, you know, people that are funding those businesses so that you can find the chemistry of people that are interested in businesses like yours. If you're in media, if you're in entertainment, if you're in software, you know, enterprise software, um, it's it's important to find those people, connect with them, um, and whether or not they become an advisor or an investor, they're going to be your source to, to further sources of funding. And then the last thing, because I'm giving a, a long answer here, and I'm sure we could drill down um, quite a bit more. Now you're moving into your um, your seed funding. Now you're focused on um, even, even pre-seed, depending on where you are in the business. So now you're focused on getting those bigger checks of a few million dollars or, or what have you. Um, the last couple of years, the market has been very frothy. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of hard to say what is seed, but you're generally talking about a one to $5 million check, um, most likely. Um, and now you've got to get into get into venture capital firms if that's the route that you're that you're going. Another point of inequity, how do you create, how do you get connections to those firms? I mean, like sometimes by design, the contact information isn't like written on anyone's forehead on, <laughs> on the website. Um, and hopefully those angel connections that you've started to make, any accelerators or um, founder communities that you've joined can help point you into the right direction of firms that invest in your area. And, um, you know, I think it's important to note that the there's there's a there's a there's a chemistry between the investor and the founder because you're going to be working with this person for years right um i've heard you know my team members have described it as a marriage right um and so you can have an amazing idea and right concept that you present to the wrong investor just because it's not their their area or their interest or they're overboarded or they don't have capacity that doesn't mean that your idea isn't a good one and you shouldn't pursue more connections elsewhere yeah. Um, so you'd mentioned kind of founder communities. Um, do you have any other pro tips for the people who are coming up against some of those inequities of not already having the connections, not having um, the rich relatives to be able to write uh, the big checks? What is a pro tip um, that you have to start to make those initial connections that lead to more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm starting to, I mean, well, it's not new, but there are certain communities that have um, been specifically geared towards founders who might be underrepresented um, and certain partners that you can you can connect with. Um, one of the organizations that's been around for, for, for some years now um, is All Raise, and uh, All Raise is focused on, on women in venture, and they have a, a very active founder community, and they create founder cohorts. We're a sponsor, um, as many firms are, um, where you can connect with other founders in your industry and obviously get get important intel. They also have a very strong investor, women in investing component. Um, so I, uh, that's 
that's one one such community. Um, Digital Undivided is a community if we're especially if we're going even earlier stage at that kind of let me get my first round. I'm just thinking about exploring this business. Sometimes they do also like, um, you know, kind of micro funding. Um, they do pitch competitions, that sort of thing. Um, they're focused on women of color um, and they've been around for many years. Um, and uh, I really admire what they're doing. Uh, and they are not just focused on companies that are going to be venture backed forever, but they, they have kind of tentacles in a lot of different places. Um, so those are a couple of communities. There are so many founder, like online founder communities too. And even people using things like, like tools, like Twitter spaces and clubhouse and, <laughs> and others, um, meetup groups, um, you know, I think about crypto, there are so many like meetup programs, discord rooms, et cetera, et cetera, where you can meet other founders, um, even physical spaces, WeWorks, um, you know, Soho House, what, what have you, I'm naming these brands, but where founders come to to meet and, and find space. There are founder studios. Um, and so I'd say like, do, you know, do some research on, on some of your different communities and geographies because they're very, like kind of different known founder meetup spaces in different places. If you're in Atlanta or if you're in New York or if you're in, in, in SF or in Boston. Um, and then there are groups like Black VC and, um, you know, Latinx VC, which is more focused on the investor community, but obviously you want to get to know investors, right? Um, so try to find out who, you know, some of these members of these communities are. And cold outreach, I mean, if you're, I don't know, a single founder that isn't a hustler, <laughs> um, people really shoot their shot. Um, and it, and it, it really sometimes works if you speak to that investor and you've taken a look at their portfolio and they're they're kind of in your space, um, it can really work. So I'd say don't hesitate to shoot your shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those are all great and really specific um, insightful ways to uh, connect with people. Women Who Code is a Y Combinator company. And so also some of the, the strong accelerators do an incredible job at connecting you with, um, with investors. Um, yes. Why dominate the tech stars? Yep. Excellent. Yeah. You started to touch on it pretty significantly in, in that last question, but um, what's some of the role of uh, community? And obviously, I'm I'm very biased as Women Who Code is the largest and most active community of diverse women technologists in the world. And so I think it's critical. Uh, but what role do you think it plays in a founder's journey? You know, just yesterday I was talking to um, a founder um, in a company in which I'm an angel invested, and um, that founder was talking about the opportunity to talk to other founders at a similar stage. And just, you know, there's so much that they are contending with and grappling with. Employee expectations have fundamentally changed, right? Um, so even, and, and I, get, I mentioned this hybrid workplace, right? So do you, to retreat or not to retreat? Like, you know, what's what's the COVID safety protocols? Um, even though I was talking to Jewel Burks, who's part of Collab Capital and um, also the, the head of um, the U.S. for Google for startups. And she was talking about um, offering like mental health support for founders. Right. Um, it's just I mean, going all in people forgetting to eat, you know, and building these you know organizations. So it's just very important to have a community you can relate to. Um, and, and pe- people can support you through the highs and the lows. Like, yeah, if you're going in the fundraising process and everybody's trying to figure out what the right timing is to fundraise right now when firms are pulling back. Right. So 
Um, and does it make sense? And do I get, do I, you know, get a series A extension or, you know, et cetera? Like, what's the right round? How should I put it together? You've got multiple different investors. If you're at a certain stage that are giving you kind of, you know, different sets of advice. Um, so I, I think community keeps one sane. <laughs> as, as a, as a you know, practitioner in diversity, I feel like I have a squad and a community that, that, you know, can relate to, um, the challenges and the ambition that I have as well. Um, so I, I, you can't underestimate the importance of community. Yeah, I think you just touched on something really critical. And I think that's kind of community versus network. Um, can you just speak to how to build a strong community and network? Yes, that's a, oh, that's really good. That's a really good point because um, there are people that you you kind of need to network with, right? Um, that, you know, have important connections, investor relationships, or even like, you know, sources of, of, of federal and statewide funding. Again, that's the US or like other governmental funding. Um, and you need to, you need to be on the pulse of, of um, you know, even changing laws and, and I mean, even legal representation for founders, right? There are just people that you need to know that, that can help you operate. Um, the difference between the network and the community is that, um, you know, the network you can certainly lean on and reach out to and, and um, whether it's, you know, advice, whether it's something transactional, like it's, it's important. Your community are the people that you can like really emote to with, if I'm being honest, right? Those are the people you can pick up and call when, when things are really challenging. And ideally you have that type of relationship with your investors and your advisors. Um, but, you know, again, there's a personal chemistry to who you feel you can be vulnerable with. Um, as businesses shift, right, you might have a core product that your, um, or, you know, your audience needs to shift or needs to be different. You need to adapt. Um, you need someone that you could go through ideas with who isn't going to judge your ideas as, you know, silly or far-fetched, right? These are people you can deeply trust and be vulnerable with. And it includes your personal networks. It can be your friends. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily 100% be people in the same boat as you, but you do want, you know, a mix of people who can relate um, and that you can trust. Yeah, I, I agree. And when you're on that that founder journey, you you need that, that network, you know, you, where you're trying to stay just on their mind or get in front of them when it's the right moment in time. Um, but it's, it's, there's kind of a, you're showing your, your best self and sharing the opportunity. And then, you know, there's the, the people that you have to go to when you, when you need to let it down and say, Hey, um, today was actually really hard. I, I was speaking with a founder last week and the minute we got on the call, I knew there was going to be some bad news. And I was like, you know what, this is an important moment in your founder journey. This is, this is where your company wins or, or closes. And it's, it's, it's up to you. It's, it's the grit that you dig deep and you make it past this week. And all weeks are possible to get past. Um, but it, that, that founder, that digging deep, that making it through those moments and um, having the community to, to be able to, you know, help you get through that is actually really important. And like you said, it doesn't have to be an advisor. It doesn't have to be an investor. It doesn't have to be a peer. 
It can be your partner. It can be yeah. um, your mom. <laughs> yep, a hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to have that squad. It sounds like you were a, a key part of that person's community in, in that moment. So lovely. So um, some of our community, uh, we have people from all different uh, levels in their career. Um, what, how can some people be getting involved without being a founder? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's really exciting to see more operators moving into um, the investing space and learning about the investing space. Um, I actually myself did a course. Um, so I'm on, the, I'm on the steering committee of Black VC. I mentioned them earlier. Um, they have a um, Black Venture Institute for operators um, to spend a, a couple of intensive weeks learning about investing and most of those folks become angel investors or maybe they've done some light angel investing um, and some of them want to move into investing full-time right so uh, just learning about the financial side of of investing like the company story how to evaluate companies um, there are I'm seeing more than ever you know information courses there's a course called Ripple X they have free information where you can learn about investing. Um, there's a wonderful um, consultant we work with. His name is Zach Brower. I was actually just talking to him before this call. Um, uh, and he does a lot in teaching um, about investing in financial modeling um, and even like understanding compensation in the space, et cetera. There are a lot of new board members who are on, um, who maybe have been on public boards. Now they're on private boards. And so they need to learn um, the financial mechanics. So um, I would say angel investing is one area. Um, I actually, you know, uh, we'll take a, just a second to mention a, a group that I, I co- co-lead called the Black Angel Group. It's for, um, it's formed for employees uh, at Alphabet, at any, any, any uh, part of Alphabet, uh, past or present, um, to, to learn about angel investing and, and be involved in deals. Um, and it's meant to be very accessible. So um, you don't have to put a ton of, you don't have to be an insanely high net worth individual to participate in a round because it's a collective. Um, and so um, the capital's pulled into, into, into a vehicle. Um, advising companies also can be formal or informal. I mean, I mentioned that very early friends and family round, but sometimes the way you, the capital you use is your, your, um, your intellectual capital or your social capital for a company rather than financial capital or in addition to. Um, so I was just talking to someone the other day who um, wants to, you know, re- really feels like they can use their operational expertise to help advise companies. And I, there's a company that I, I think is actually a really good fit for them to get to know very early stage. Um, you know, it's a, it's a company I've been talking to independently um, where they could use um, this person's expertise. So you could, you could be helping these, these founders um, early on their journey. Again, if you're part of someone's community, just being that kind of support is really, really helpful. Um, and then, um, you know, companies are always hiring and, um, you know, they need referrals, right? And they need to connect and tap into communities, especially, um, you know, I try to connect our, our founders into diverse communities. So organizations like Women Who Code are amazing. Um, I, I got a chance to work with you all with one of our companies and their uh, Hack the Planet scholarship Red Panda was doing, right? And so connecting globally with technical talent was really important. Um, so yeah, I, I think I've named a few here um, of, of ways that we can all be part of this ecosystem. So Candice, um, I, I can't emphasize enough how 
important the work you're doing is. You're also in this position of power and leadership within one of the um, most really influential companies, tech companies in the world right now, and you're a leader in this space. So I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to, um, you know, speak with us today um, for the commitment and the leadership that you're bringing to Women Who Code. And also, you know, we've just gotten to hear about some of the other organizations that that you're influencing. I do have one final pro tip question for you. Um, but I, I just wanted to make sure I took a moment to acknowledge and, and express my, my gratitude. Um, so my final question to you is, what is your like quick pro tip that you give to diverse founders? Quick pro tip. Um, I mean, I think despite all the the headlines and the news out there about, you know, the economy is X, Y, Z and, and, you know, people are drawing back and et cetera. We've, we witnessed something really incredible over the last couple of years. And even though the momentum, I think around the diversity conversation has waxed and waned since then, there are more um, underrepresented fund managers, board members, than we've ever seen before. And that means more potential community, more potential like capital of all, all the kinds that I've mentioned above. Um, there, there never been more opportunities um, for someone in whether you have the nichest idea, <laughs> um, someone is very interested in that idea, right? And in that space. Um, and so um, I would say, you know, and something that you shared with, um, you know, with the person that you were speaking with earlier is like, there are all kinds of inflection points, but it's, it, there's not been a better time, right, to, you know, to really find and connect with people that want to help you on your journey. Thank you so much, Candace Morgan. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So everyone who joined us today, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation or feeling inspired. If you haven't already done it, please join our community at womenwhocode.com. We've got resources and support that we can help you on your journey as a founder or a technologist. So please just visit us on our social channels at Women Who Code or womenwhocode.com. You belong in this community and we are here for you. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.